Hi, and welcome back to Quest Markers. This is a video game podcast where we talk about the stories that games tell, and I am so happy that you're here today. My name is Marina, my pronouns are she, her, and today we're talking about another Zelda game, this time A Link to the Past. Today's guest is Scott from the Gaming Outsider podcast. I was recently on their show, so I'll link that episode below, but I am really excited for this episode because A Link to the Past is Scott's favorite Zelda game. Big spoiler warning, as always, we talk about the entirety of A Link to the Past, and I just finished editing this episode, and there were a few moments where there was a lot of drilling in the background on my end, so you'll notice some bits where it sounds like I re-recorded it, and it's because I did, because I didn't want you to listen to drilling. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hi, Scott. Hey, how you doing, Marina? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Long time no see. I feel like we just did this about a week ago. Long time no see. Thank you so much again for having me on The Gaming Outsider. And Scott, before we get into your introduction, how are you staying hydrated? What are you drinking? Well, I may you may consider it dehydration because it's not <laughs> 10 o'clock in the morning where I am. I know you, you're you're about True. 15 hours ahead of me. That's right. So I am, I am, I'm drinking a beer. I am, uh, it's called, it's called Launch Juice. From Obscurity Brewing. Excellent. Uh, it is a Midwest hazy IPA, and it's uh, it's pretty good. That so I like my IPAs. Fantastic. Amazing. This is not sponsored. Um, but that's No, not great. at all. <laughs> <laughs> just what I happen to have in my fridge at the moment. There you go. I've got coffee. I've got water. I feel like that's just become the thing. Yeah, I feel like every episode I hear, it's like, I got coffee and water. Yeah. yeah that's way a, to mix it up, Marina. Always coffee, though. Always coffee. Yeah. The, I mean, the water should be more important, but unfortunately... It's not how it goes. I'm looking forward to uh, to trying coffee in Australia. I'm going to be in Australia in, uh, next month. That's right. And uh, everybody that I talk to says that you got to go to the cafes in Australia. So that is one of the things that I've added to the list of things I want to do. My, my wife has a list of all sorts of stuff, but coffee and video game shops are, are, are my, my two go-tos. Absolutely. You have to. A lot of people told me that before I moved. They're like, the coffee in Australia is really fantastic. And I was like... I don't, I don't understand because Canada yeah. also has, has a really, really great uh, coffee culture, especially kind of for independent coffee shops um, that import coffee from all over the world. But I will say coffee in Australia truly is fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you have a good time. Also, there might be some, dr I just heard some drilling outside of my building. So if there's drilling, I will try to the best of my abilities, edit that in post. But Scott, uh, could you please introduce yourself for everyone? Sure. My name is Scott Clark. I am a fourth grade teacher here in Rockford, Illinois, in the good old U.S. of A. And uh, when I'm not teaching children, I, uh, I love to podcast. And my podcast is The Gaming Outsider. We talk about video games for about two, two and a half hours each week, talking about the games that we've been playing, industry news, and then some community-based topic. We're very community-based. Um, on top of that, I do a podcast called The Packers Fan Podcast. I'm a big Green Bay Packers fan. And uh, so um, me and my co-host, Wayne, uh, we get together during, this, during the football season and talk about uh, each week of football. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. So, But gaming is my love. I've been a fan of video games since I was old enough to push buttons. My dad loves to tell the story that I was four years old and I was climbing up trying to push buttons on the stereo uh, on his record player and, and messing things up. I just love to push buttons. And it's been, uh, it's been an obsession ever since. 
I love that so much. <laughs> and for everyone here, please, please do check out The Gaming Outsider. Um, as I said, I was recently on it. It's a fantastic show. And the way that I always describe it is it's almost like being privy to a conversation with close friends. So, yeah. you know, if you have a day where you're kind of alone or spending at home in particular for me, I like to have it on and feel like, you know, there's someone keeping me company and close friends keeping me company. Oh, that's so. cool. That's exactly the vibe we're going for. We just wanted it to sound like you're just uh, eavesdropping on a conversation. Like uh, we, we try to make it sound like we're all just sitting in a room together and enjoying each other's company and and uh, and having a good time talking about our favorite hobby. So thank you very much. Well, it comes across. Uh, Scott, I, I think I know some of the answers to this question, <laughs> but what are some of your favorite games? I mean, it, it should go without saying that The Legend of Zelda is is my favorite uh, franchise. I've, I've, I'm kind of obsessed with it. Uh, I think I forgot to show you last time we recorded, but I've got a entire wall of Zelda collectibles. Remind me when we're done yes. that I will show that to you. I need, I need to see it. It's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm quite proud of it, but the, I've just been in love with the series ever since I was a, a teenager and uh, it came out when I was, when I was much younger, but I kind of didn't discover it till I was a teenager. But outside of that, uh, I, I'm, Love the Metroid series. That was another favorite. Uh, I am a massive pinball fan, if you'd believe it. Uh, I, I uh, played pinball as a kid, but then I discovered digital pinball, and I have put more time into pinball FX than any other game, literally. I, it rivals close to your Final Fantasy XIV obsession, wow. I, would, I, would, I would gather. So um, <laughs> I own like all 100 tables I bought. I, oh, that's I'm cool. With, yeah, they call me a whale. <laughs> <laughs> over it because I just buy whatever tables they have. So, um, but I, but I pretty much play anything and everything that I can get my hands onto. I try to review as much as I can over at the Gaming Outsider. Uh, anything that tells a good story, anything that does something interesting mechanic wise that is just uh, feels fresh and new or makes me feel powerful. I just love games so much. It's a great way to to tell stories, and um, it's my favorite medium. Could not agree more. Also, I really hope that this drilling is not too loud because it is very <laughs> loud where I am. So we'll we'll see what I'm able to do in post. Uh, but Scott, what are you currently playing? Uh, the big one I'm playing right now that's distracting me from uh, Tears of the Kingdom. Unfortunately, I feel like a massive uh, failure <laughs> as a Zelda fan that I've that I I've, I have not given up on it. I just took a break from it. Uh, is Final Fantasy 16? I am so good. I I'm so obsessed with this game. Uh, it has its faults. Uh, the the issues that everybody has with it are very valid. Uh, it's some of the worst side quests I've played in a long time. I don't know why I keep doing them, but uh, the main story is some of the most engaging story I've I've played in a Final Fantasy in a long time, and uh, I just I can't stop playing it. I I uh, we were kind of talking before we started recording about a moment that I hit last night that I, I won't reveal here, but it is a set piece that is just one of the coolest moments i've seen in a final fantasy game it, it just it is very impactful for me uh for a multitude of reasons and uh, i can't wait to do a spoiler cast with zach to talk about that moment to see if he uh, feels the same as me because it's it's great but mm. yeah love and final fantasy 16 i'm really excited to get there i'm way way behind you i haven't played it in a bit i am watching my partner play Shadowbringers. <laughs> of course <laughs> you are of course um uh, because, oh my God, I just, Final Fantasy fourteen. once you get to Shadowbringers onwards, it's like <laughs> everything just hits and comes together and it's absolutely fantastic. And I'm sitting there like not saying anything and just listening to his theories and I'm just like, mm-hmm, yep, 
Just keep going. Oh, he doesn't Just know. Keep going. No, he has no idea what's to come. Oh, so gotcha. yeah, and he's about to hit Endwalker. So yeah, but I, <laughs> I I do need to get back to sixteen. I do need to get back to sixteen. But today we're here to talk about a link to the past, which I only played back in twenty twenty one, and it quickly became one of my favorite. Zelda games, just because of the dungeons, it feels very open world. The music was nostalgic because I had heard renditions of it, but I hadn't mm-hmm. actually played A Link to the Past un- until it was on Switch. Uh, so I'm really, really, really excited to talk about A Link to the Past. And Scott, if we could start with maybe you sharing why it's your favorite Zelda. Oh boy, so many reasons, but I can tell you right off the off the bat that the the biggest reason that I fell in love with the Link to the Past when I was younger is it is one of the first games that I played that really showed me what video games could be in mm. terms of more than just platformers or more than sports games. Uh, this was a I, I, this may sound silly, but this is a thinking man's game while also being an adventure game at the same time. Um, I, I had played Zelda and Zelda two in my in my youth and i did love those and i kind of you know felt like i could go on an adventure it was the first time i felt like i was just going off on adventure and um you know i really got the feels that miyamoto was going for because he said that he that he designed the game or was inspired by the game by exploring caves when he was a kid uh in, in japan and that's just what you did and the first two games were well the first game was good the second game was uh, I have a love hate relationship with Zelda two, but Zelda three or Link to the Past came out and it just felt like it perfected everything about the series. Uh, the sprites are absolutely gorgeous. The music is iconic and recognizable, like you said, and the puzzles are are challenging but never overly challenging, and they just feel so absolutely satisfying. It was the first game that made me feel like I was smart. Now that's up for debate whether that whether or not that's true, but I felt smart while playing this game, and it just clicked with me. And as much as I loved the first two games, this one really put me over the edge in terms of loving the series and continuing on everything else that came out since then. Mm. I could not agree more that I think this is where Zelda hit its stride. I played Zelda one. I have attempted to play Zelda two. I'll get back to it eventually at some point. But <laughs> A Link to the Past, I agree, they really perfected, I think, what they were going for. So I'll set the stage maybe for the narrative, and then we'll get into kind of some of the themes that the game explores. But the game starts with you being asleep and hearing a voice, the voice of Zelda beckoning you to come to the castle. And the background behind all of this is that long, long ago, there was a fabled land called the Golden Land that housed the Triforce, a relic created by the three goddesses after the creation of Hyrule. And one day, a band of evil thieves opened up a gateway to the Golden Land. And as they approached the Triforce, the leader of the thieves, Ganondorf, killed his entire group and claimed the Triforce for himself. And as he touched it, the Golden Land became the Dark World, corrupted by Ganondorf. And Ganondorf then also transformed into Ganon, this boar-like creature. After that, what happened was uh, what was known as the Imprisoning War, so the struggle between Ganon and the Knights of Hyrule, while Hyrule sages used their magic to eventually successfully seal Ganon in the Dark World, protecting Hyrule and bringing peace to Hyrule for years to come. 
And so one day, a wizard named Aghanim uh, kind of showed up in Hyrule, befriended the king, eventually started working for the king, and then usurped the throne of Hyrule and assassinated the king, taking over the castle and bewitching the castle's soldiers. And Aghanim's goal was to release the seal to the Dark World in order to be able to claim its power of the former Golden Land. So Aghanim ordered the bewitched soldiers to adopt the descendants of the seven sages, Zelda being one of them. And these descendants of the sages were systemically sacrificed in the tower and sent to the Dark World. Zelda was to be the seventh sacrifice. And before that happened, Zelda uses her telepathy to ask Link for help. Link's uncle also hear, hears this, uh, leaves their home where they live together, but at, we as Link follow him into the castle. We get to the castle. Link's uncle is mortally wounded and tells Link that he's the last line of defense against Aghanim. And this is really where our story begins. And so, Scott, maybe we start the discussion with the famous or maybe infamous quote of Link, Zelda is your dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. What did that mean? What do you think it meant? <laughs> I genuinely don't know. I, I don't even know. Was it ever a- addressed? Has it ever? I mean, it's never been. I don't think it has been. It's never been answered. So leave it up to interpretation. I don't know. I mean, it, it is called Link to the Past. And do we really? I mean, there's not really time travel. You're, you're, you're going back and forth between the dark world and the light world. But you're not time traveling. That's it. It's called A Link to the Past because it's meant to be a prequel to Zelda 1. But it was released uh, as the third one. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But it's never the been answered. The timeline for Zelda. The timeline for oh, Zelda is just so messed up. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And even now, like having finished Tears of the Kingdom, I'm like, what is, what is happening? Yeah. I'm what? excited to see what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Please message me when you finish. I will. But yeah, it's it's that's that's never ever been explained, and it's one of those just mysteries of a link to the past where it's everyone's just like shrug. What did that mean? I just I don't really understand why the game started in that way if it was never explained. Right. Personally, I I gotta mention as well. I feel like I never knew how to pronounce the wizard's name. You pronounce it. How did you pronounce it? I said Aghanim, but that's Aghanim? because I watched some video essays on YouTube and everyone was saying Aghanim. So I was like, okay, Aghanim. But anyway, w- once we get asked this question of, well, not really question, but his uncle make, makes a statement, Zelda is mm-hmm. your dot, dot, dot. We set off on this adventure to collect three pendants in order to obtain the Master Sword. This is the first time in Zelda history that the Master Sword shows up. And then mm-hmm. we eventually travel to the Dark World with the Master Sword in order to free the descendants of the Seven Sages. And um, the dungeons are just fantastic. But I feel like narratively to your point this game does so much more than zelda one zelda two i haven't finished so i can't really speak to it but not much more okay fair (laughs) as i was reflecting on the themes in a link to the past the theme of secrets a theme of trust a theme of community really came out to me but i wanted to ask you what what themes kind of came out for you as you were playing the game or maybe replaying the game that you think are important I mean, I kind of touched on it already, but just being a hero, being the, the chosen one or the one that is summoned, you know, just a young boy. I was, the, I was the perfect age, you know, being, you know, 13 or 14 when this game came out. And I, I just, you know, had dreams of being a hero and, 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 and helping people 
and going on a quest to do it was just, it was just an awesome feeling. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't get into D and D at a young age and I didn't get into, um, a lot of the RPGs and stuff because of, uh, that's a whole other story with, with, with my upbringing. But, uh, you know, this was the first time I felt like I got to be a hero and, and going out and I know it's kind of looked down on in, in today's society, but like the idea of rescuing a princess, you know, um, uh, you know, someone needing my help to do it. And I was personifying that through a video game it was just an awesome feeling. That theme right there was, was, was the biggest thing that stood out to me. Mm. And I think kind of for me, that feeds into the theme of community of everyone kind of relies on Link. And it starts mm -hmm. off with Link's uncle saying, help us. And then Zelda relying on Link. Um, Link getting, but, but Link also relying on other people. So we very much as Link rely on Sahasrila, the wizard, and on the fairies to help us upgrade our equipment and on the Zora to get the flippers and on the blacksmith to upgrade the master sword. And so I really feel like there is this theme of both Hyrule relying on us, but us also relying on various different people throughout Hyrule, even if how we get their help sometimes tends to be a little bit secretive, such as like when you go meet with the fairies and you're supposed to drop an item in there and sometimes you get an upgrade and sometimes you don't get an upgrade, which kind of takes me into the second theme that really stood out to me, which was that theme of like secrets or concealment. There's tons of hidden items in the game. There's tons of hidden upgrades, like, you know, like throwing the, the items into the fairy fountains or tempering the master sword you, you can miss. Um, the Master Sword itself is hidden in the Lost Woods. Ganon hides a Zaganim as well in Hyrule. Zelda hides at the Sanctuary. Like there's one thing that's really intriguing to me. And as I reflect on now wanting to replay the game, um, that's driving me to want to replay the game is that theme of secrecy of what else is there to explore? Yeah, there are like major weapons that you can completely skip. As you go through there, the, uh, I believe it's the, it's either the fire rod or the ice rod that is in the Southeast section of the map that you could just completely miss. It's just something that's behind a bombed wall that you could never, ever come across and make that double headed dragon fight way harder in the final dungeon at turtle rock or not the final dungeon, but the one towards the end, um, or the bottles, you can find a bottle just mm -hmm. under a bridge. A guy is sleeping and says, hey, thanks for waking me up. Here's an empty bottle. I remember that. <laughs> that you would not have discovered if you didn't just explore, which is what Miyamoto wanted us to do, uh, even with the first game. It's just, it just the, the reward for exploration is just so awesome. And, and just coming across those secrets. And, and, and this was before the internet was as big as it is today, obviously. So there was a lot of these secrets that were not just spelled out to you or easy to look up. There was a lot of, on the playground, sharing notes and sharing information and secrets with one another. And then you get that rush to go home to try the thing that your buddy on the playground told you about. And it works. It actually works. Uh, was just, was just so fun. I just absolutely miss that. Yeah. I never actually thought about it that way, but yeah, as much as like we just spoke about community in the game, it also kind of helped build community outside of the game. Because if you were stuck mm -hmm. on something or if you were just talking about the game with, uh, you know, with peers, it would be like, oh, have you found, you know, this medallion? And you'd be like, what medallion are you talking about? Or what bottle? Or how do you get the final bottle? Yeah. Um, it's really nice. And I never thought about it that way. 
Can I tell you a really funny story? Yeah, that, please. That, uh, um, that I was stuck early on when you first got the magic mirror in the game. Mm. And we didn't, and I didn't know what to do. I could not for the life of me figure out what to do. And we didn't have a phone in my house. We just, we, we didn't have a landline for whatever reason. Um, I grabbed a quarter. I biked down to the payphone that was about a two or three blocks away from my house. And I called my best friend who loaned me his copy of the game. This is the first time I ever played it. And I called him and said, dude, I'm stuck. Can you tell me what I got to do? And he kind of walked me through it. I biked back home and tried it and it worked. And anytime I got stuck in uh, my first playthrough, I went down and, and brought a quarter and literally called him on a payphone to get help instead of <laughs> instead of then like 900 line at uh, at Nintendo to get help. It was just a very good memory for me of that game. That's so wholesome and I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. That's actually a really good segue into kind of the third theme that really stood out to me, which is trust, right? Like mm. The king trusted Aghanim and then got betrayed. Your uncle puts his trust in you. Zelda puts her trust in you. Sahasrila puts his trust in you. You put your trust in Sahasrila to help guide you to the Master Sword. You put your trust in the descendants of the sages. They put their trust in you to, to help them, to help them get out of the dark world. Um, so I feel like that that's actually such a unique, I think, way to think about the game because yeah at the time when it was released you couldn't just go on google and look things up mm -hmm. and even like you know one of the first games that i ever played was ocarina of time and i said this in in the very first episode that the first time i ever used google was to look at like a dot txt playthrough of nice. ocarina of time when i was stuck but a lot of the conversations around the game and a lot of, I think, the progress in the game for me and my peers happened because we spoke outside of the game. And, right. and that was community building and that was trust building and friendship building. And I think that's a really cool parallel. And, and to piggyback on what you're talking about community, you know, you're talking about like everybody working together to kind of come to this goal. And then when that community is broken, it, it mm. felt disheartening. Do you remember the first time you go back to Kakariko Village and everybody mm. thinks that you're a thief yeah. and, they're, and they're running away from you and calling the guards and you're like, what is going on? And all these people that trusted me a few minutes ago suddenly are, have turned against me and think I'm the enemy and I don't understand why. That, as, a, as a kid, I was like, that was a horrible feeling, um, which was, but it was also very effective at the time. And I just kind of love that bit of storytelling without hardly any dialogue. I mean, someone says, hey, thief, stop, get him. And then all of a sudden everybody's on you, but that's mm. it. Yeah. For, for me, it was kind of the reverse because again, like I, I played A Link to the Past fairly recently and Kakariko Village always represented the sanctum and the safe place where you go to to rest and recover, yep. maybe buy some items, maybe do a couple of side quests. And so when that gets turned around, you're like, no, that's yeah, heartbreaking. Exactly. I don't want that to happen. Right. Oh, Kakariko. Um, <laughs> but Scott, what, what was personally your favorite part of the narrative? Oh, man, my, my personal favorite part. I, I've got two, if you can indulge mm -hmm. me for a moment. Um, and Because one almost doesn't even feel like a, narr or a narrative moment, so it may seem like a cheat but the the reveal of the master sword mm. again there's no story going here but the first time you come across it it's in this wooded area 
There's bunnies hopping around, and then there it is. It's just standing there alone by itself, unguarded, and there's no weeds or anything growing around. It just stands there looking so majestic, for lack of a better term. And then when you finally do get the three pendants and you pull it out, even like with 16-bit graphics and the, and the little just jingle that plays when you do that was one of the coolest moments in gaming as a kid because I was like, now it's on. I've got this legendary weapon and I am, I'm ready to go. So that's my first one. I, my second, I, I agree, by the way. Okay. A thousand percent. <laughs> um, my second one is somewhat gameplay related because uh, I, I think I was so shocked as a kid because I had not been enveloped in video games and new kind of video game tropes that are just kind of standard nowadays. But the reveal that there was a whole second world, this dark world, uh, the first time you open up that map and you see seven blinking crystals all over the same map that you saw that's just now dark was absolutely mind-blowing because I had been playing NES games you know, my entire childhood leading up to this point. And that first portion of the game, I can't even say first half of the game because it's probably like a first quarter of the game, is those three pendants and then going back to the castle to rescue the princess from the the sorcerer. That in itself would have been more than sufficient to be an entire game back in the NES era. So to get through that and then be like, we're only starting, buddy, was just, I mean, I mean, just the sheer fact that there was a mirror image of Hyrule anyway, I felt like I got to re-explore everything all over again with this fresh set of eyes and it was such an awesome awesome feeling and then they just cut you loose they don't even like give you any direction except sahasrala just says hey welcome to the dark world enjoy <laughs> you know it's just and i just felt like i was starting a whole I, I felt like it was playing a sequel mm. like i was playing a sequel to link to the past even though it was all the same game it was just an awesome narrative moment even though there was very little dialogue it was just a very memorable and I, I'm, I'm grinning from ear to ear just just remembering it and thinking about it. I agree on both of those accounts. I, but I think any time in a Zelda game where you get to go find the Master Sword tends to be a pretty pretty cool moment. Oh, yeah. My favorite being in Twilight Princess. For some reason, that really, really stuck with me. But yeah, picking up the Master Sword in a Zelda game always feels like a huge moment. And it does. then in A Link to the Past, you're sent to the Dark World and you're like, whoa. There's a lot left here. Right. It, it's, 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 it's half like I'm excited that I get to keep playing this game because it's awesome, but also overwhelming at the same time because we started with three things to collect yeah. and I've got seven and a final dungeon. You know what I mean? It's like, oh boy, I'm like, I'm wiping off my brow. <laughs> like, I guess I better get started. And the rest of the game just goes from there. Yeah. That's what, it. what about you? What's your favorite moment? I, I think it's got to be the Master Sword. Yeah. Okay. I think it's it's got to be. For me, when I when I think about A Link to the Past and kind of what I really, really enjoyed um, was more so the dungeons and the mechanics of the dungeons really, really stand out and the puzzles in the dungeons mm -hmm. um, is what really made me excited. But yeah, anytime in a Zelda game that you get to go and get the Master Sword, especially because this is the first time that the Master Sword ever shows up mm -hmm. in a Zelda game, you're like, this is really cool. Like to see the very first time. 
Plus, they tease you like yeah, along the they way. Do. <laughs> you, you keep finding those like fake, fake master ones. swords. Like this is it. it. Oh no, it's a it's a fake. It's like for a minute you're like, I got it, and and I think that was genuinely brilliant to do that mm. because it made the actual pulling of it from that stone that much more dramatic because this is the real one. This is it, and 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 then you get to shoot these spinny you know, magic things out of your sword at the same time. They don't even tell you. It is, there's no explanation. It's just, you just get to do this. And it was just an awesome, awesome feeling. So, so I'm good. glad. Do you have a favorite dungeon from Link to the Past? Like one that stood out to you the most? I did really like the Ice Palace, but I just really enjoy snowy themed dungeons. Mm-hmm. I realize that that might be very stereotypical now because I'm from a snowy country. Um, but I did, I did really like Turtle Rock as well. Mm-hmm. Kind of you're getting to the end. You're like, what's after this? What's going to happen after this? Um, although I, I, I did find it pretty challenging, Turtle Rock. and, and It was tough. I, I, I think the community would maybe agree. Um, but yeah, I'd say Ice Palace and, and Turtle Rock. Although I will say, did not enjoy the boss battles at all in either of those places. Really? I did. I did, I, did, I just had a hard time. <laughs> Turtle Rock was the two-headed dragon, one shooting yep. fire, one shooting ice. Yep. Which was immensely easier if you had the fire rod and the ice rod. But yeah, that was that was a pretty harrowing yeah. boss battle. I mean, at the, when the first time you play it, that first boss battle you come across when you're going after the first pendant was like, what's going on? It was the creature with the mask and the tail. Yep. I mean, now that you know what to do, it seems almost elementary. But at the time, I was like what am I doing? You know, this is, um, in the original Zelda, you had to use your new items in order to get to a new area. Mm-hmm. But this was the first one that said, you're going to acquire this new item and you're going to use it on this boss. And we didn't know that the first time we went to that first boss. So uh, what a cool moment. Yeah. Oh, I also, sorry, before before um, you talk about your favorite, also really loved Gargoyle's Domain because that's the one where... Um, you you're helping out this woman who who is stuck in there and you eventually kind of as you're as you're leaving Gargoyle's domain and she steps into the light, she becomes the final boss. She becomes this demon blind. Blind. And I thought yeah. that was just a really cool moment where you're like, oh, okay, trust broken. <laughs> Again, we were young and that was not a thing that you yeah. were expecting when uh, I mean I was a teenager at the time, but uh, that was that was my favorite as well. But I'll give you a, a second runner up which is the one after that, which I believe is the fifth palace. It's the one that's in the middle of the map towards the bottom. And in order to access it, you have to access the dark world and pull a lever to make the water run in the dark world so that when you go back to the light world, that water is running and now you have access to there. That moment was my biggest aha moment in video games ever, I think, because I was like, this game just went to an absolutely another level for me because I, I felt I felt like I had discovered something and it broke the game, which is ridiculous to say because clearly that's what they wanted me to do. But I felt like I had done something that wasn't supposed to happen. And that feeling, I feel like I'll never have, have again. I mean, the closest, the closest is like the portal games, you know, where you yeah. solve a puzzle 
and yeah. you, and you feel like you, you you did you trick the developer and you can you, you skirt it. No, that's actually the way they designed it was for me to do exactly what I did. So, that's yeah. it. But I think that's the brilliance of the design and going back to that theme of secrets of oh I've just uncovered a secret. Does anybody else know? Because it was such a brilliantly mm -hmm. designed way to get into a dungeon. And I remember that too. And I was like, oh. That was cool. And I was very adamant about not playing it with a guide. So I was like, oh, cool. That was awesome. It was a really oh, you good didn't one. You didn't bike down and call your best friend and uh, drop a quarter <laughs> in the payphone to figure out how to get through? No, I wish. <laughs> I wish. Well, you, you played it in 2021, which yeah. that was something you mentioned at the, at the beginning of the show. And I wanted to ask you because I don't find too many people nowadays that have not played Link to the Past mm -hmm. or haven't and are willing to. And I've always wanted to ask somebody that played it. I mean, clearly I know the answer to this question already, but that is a 30-year-old game. Yeah. And to you, it still holds up. Oh, what about, absolutely. What about, you know, so to me, that tells me that it is not just nostalgia that is making me love this game, although that is clearly a part of it for me because of my history with it. But what about Link to the Past to you makes that one hold up in, in this world of just countless video games and unlimited supply of quality games. What makes that one stand out to you? Yeah, I, I think it's a few things. I think number one, the art style holds up today. You know, there's tons of studios that are still making pixel games. I personally really, really enjoy uh, just the pixel art style in general. And I, I think that it really holds up well in A Link mm -hmm. to the Past. Um, and as I said earlier, for some reason, I felt nostalgic playing it, even though I had never played it because I had heard the music. There were a lot of themes that are repeated in later Zelda games. And then when you hear it here, and especially because I had just played Zelda 1 and a part of Zelda 2, I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool because this is where the series hit its stride. So that's the second thing. But thirdly, I just think it's really, really well designed. The dungeons were fantastic. They were really fun. The puzzle solving was fun. Being able to explore in, in what like truly is an open world game at, at, you know, maybe less of a scale than Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom, but it is really open world. And so to be able to have the freedom to explore and like find all of these secrets was also really cool. And so in a lot of ways, I think it it holds up in a lot of other ways. I think it really doesn't hold up. And, uh, you know, one of them and, and I intentionally called the the what are referred to as the maidens in the game, the descendants of the sages. And I'm generally not a fan of how women are portrayed in the game because if they're descendants of these really really powerful beings where do they lose their powers along the mm -hmm. way and do they only need to be saved because they're women and why can't women be portrayed in a powerful light in this game which i i don't think that they are so so i i think i think some some things in the game don't hold up, but I do think that a lot of things in the game, so the art style, uh, as well as the mechanics and the design hold up really, really well, and the music as well. Awesome. Fantastic music. Yeah. It, so it, that's the one that, like, that is a 16-bit soundtrack that genuinely sounds just as good. <laughs> like, so I'm, I'm okay good. listening to that and then listen to, like, a full orchestral version of it. It's just very, very quality. Yeah, sim similar to Link's Awakening with Tall Tall Heights, I prefer the mm -hmm. original version of Tall Tall Heights than what 
what Tall Tall Heights became in the remake. Not that it's not beautiful mm-hmm. in the remake, but there's just something about that music style that it it that just works. It just worked really, really well. And I think it held up in a link to the past really well as well. I agree. I wish that Link to the Past remake had a toggle switch that lets you go mm. back and forth, like kind of some. And you, I feel like you could do that with that because it's just, yeah. it's such a mirror image remake. But to your point with the music too, one of the best introductions and in, like title screens oh, ever. So. The whole like Triforce kind of like trickling. As soon as you flip the power switch on, you just hear, and then like the Triforce comes in, the swords comes crashing down in the middle of it, and this epic orchestra. I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> I just, can tell. Just thinking about that. It is, it's just, what a great way. And it's only like a, I don't know, 12-second fanfare, and it is so effective. Um, I, I feel like the closest I ever got to that it might even be a stronger was the first time I played Final Fantasy VII. Mm. You know, when you when the when the final when you finally get the title card in that game and you're like, I am on a journey, yeah. I am ready to go. That is how that moment in Link to the Past made me feel. It's like we are about to start something awesome and I'm gonna be entertained for quite a long time now playing this. Yeah, no, both of those, both of those are fantastic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I I do think that a link to the past holds up really really well in in a lot of ways but um do you do you have a favorite character and i ask this because i have a favorite character in the game not that not that the, not that the game is really character heavy but i, I just have makes a favorite it difficult. yeah but i just have a favorite character character in the game and i really want to talk about them go ahead you you kick things off i love king zora because king zora is this like wild raging capitalist in the game like and i just think that that is so funny you get to zora's (laughs) domain and then king zora is like you want to buy some flippers for 500 rupees and you're like what are you what are you talking about i have like 50 in my pocket what is happening i just thought that that was really 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 funny because it was so unexpected because the mm-hmm. other zora attack you while you're on your way there and so i was just kind of exploring and i was like do 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 and you get there and then the leader of the zora cuz because i thought it was going to be a boss battle i was like oh this is going to be a mini boss goes you want to buy some flippers? <laughs> You're like, what is happening? <laughs> it was just, I, I thought that it was fantastic. I just, I will never forget that moment in the game. Like, favorite character isn't Link. It's not Zelda in that game. It's not Aghanim. It's not Sahasrila. It's not the fairies. It's, it is King Zora who sells you the flippers only because I think that that's really funny. That's fantastic. <laughs> Plus, that that whole section of the game is responsible for why I check every waterfall in yeah, any video yeah. game Absolutely. I play. <laughs> Absolutely. A thousand percent. I, I can't even remember if that happens in the original Zelda. I, it probably does, and someone's going to call me out on this, because I've, d- I've clearly played Link to the Past more than the original, mm. or, or, or um, uh, Link's... Boy, what was it called? Um, what's Zelda 2 called? Zelda Link's 2, Adventure. Link's Adventure. Thank you. I'm a terrible Zelda fan at this point, but <laughs> no. I don't remember if those happened, but like I remember it because of Link to the Past for sure. I, I'm I'm with you. It is a little difficult to come up with a favorite character because as as dense I'm not even gonna say dense, but there is a story going on here. Most of it is told in that opening title card mm-hmm. or whatever, like, you know, but uh boy. I don't even know. <laughs> can, I, can I say the guy sleeping under the bridge? Because I just, 
I I just love that there's a dude napping under <sighs> yeah. there that like thanks you for waking him up. That that's that pretty is pretty great. cool. Um, you got a bottle out of it. Or the or the great. guy that is great. The bottles are like vital. I don't know what you <laughs> oh, did great. with the bottles. I I kept nothing but fairies in them because yep. that like I'm I'm gonna die and then and then get like half of my hearts back was great. Um, or how about the guy in the in the southwest corner of the map that uh, has a sign oh, that yeah. says "Don't steal my sign," and then you steal a sign, yeah. and he follows you and says, "Why'd you steal my sign?" I clearly told <laughs> the sign clearly said. I just love that little touch of like this this crazy guy is going to yell at you for stealing a sign that so says, "Don't strange. steal my sign." Yeah. So what, what do you think everybody's going to do? If someone says, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just I I think that the charm of the game is in those small quirky moments of like mm-hmm. the Zora King selling you flippers and the dude with yeah. the sign and the dude underneath the bridge. Like there's, there's a lot of quirkiness that I think contributes to the charm of the game. Again, it's not a very character driven game. A lot of the narrative is told in the exploration mm-hmm. and in, in that beginning sequence and, and also the little booklet that comes with the game if you get a physical copy, but um, all oh, the quirky characters. And it clearly, that kept going with the rest of the series. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like become a staple. <laughs> yeah, it's like Twilight Princess comes to mind right away with the amount, like from the beginning, you know, one of the kids that um, that you see in Ordon Village becomes this raging capitalist later on, which is just really funny because it's this like three-year-old baby. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. It's all a part of the Zelda charm. Absolutely. Love every <laughs> minute of it. Or uh, Tingle. Tingle, oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember playing Majora's Mask, and I I think that's my favorite Zelda game, because it's it's always hard. It's it's always hard, but oh, I love Majora's Mask. But Tingle always creeped me out. <laughs> Zach is uh, just fist pumping while he's listening to this episode right now, <laughs> because uh, we we go back and forth. Majora's Mask is his favorite, and uh, so good. I have I have frustrations with with uh, Majora's Mask, but uh, one of the one of the outside of Skyward Sword. Uh, the game that I struggled the most to complete, because mm. uh, like I, I mean, I was uh, I was you know a teenager at the time, and I all I wanted to do was dungeons. I just wanted to do dungeons. I didn't want to like go help all these people, and the time mechanic drove me crazy. But uh, I get it, I get it. Ironic that a link to the past is not about time travel and Majora's Mask. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and Ocarina of Time for that matter. Well, that one has time in the title, at least. But uh, yeah, well, you do you do a bit of time travel in Ocarina of Time. But yeah. yeah, so good. Speaking of speaking of good master sword moments, ah, oh. uh, if you didn't know going into that game that that was going to happen, and, and I didn't, I didn't either. I was like, I mean, it it was like Link to the Past all over again. Yep. It was like I got a I got a whole new world now that I get to explore, and I was I was I was so ready for it. So good. good. Stuff. Any any time that you take the master sword out, mm-hmm. it hits. It hits. Agree totally. Oh, anyway, I could. I mean, I could go on and on. We could do an entire episode of like, <laughs> you know, taking the master sword out of out of its its rightful place. Um, but Scott, we're approaching time. I can't believe it. Do you have any final thoughts on a link to the past besides your very very clear fondness for the game? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a big fan. Uh, I would just re- encourage people if you have not played it, uh, now that we've clearly, you know, just <laughs> spoiled the story for you. But honestly, the, the, this is not a game that that can be spoiled with a story. The 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 puzzles and the dungeons really are a story in amongst themselves, and I highly recommend everybody 
check it out just to kind of see Zelda at its roots, not its earliest roots, but uh, give it a shot, even if you are not a fan of older games, because as Marina mentioned, this game holds up both graphically and mechanically. Uh, it is it is a game that uh, I, I routinely play through still to this day. The the music is fantastic, and I just uh, I, I can't get enough of it. I never tire of this game, and I hope that uh, somebody is listening to this that has never played it and said, you know what, I'm going to give that one a shot, and it's worth it. Trust me. It's available. It's you know this is not sponsored, but it, it it's available on Switch. So you know digitally, pretty easy to to get your hands on. Yeah, Nintendo Switch Online. That's it. That's it. Uh, Scott, you have time to plug anything, anything that you'd like. Please talk about The Gaming Outsider. Okay. Well, like <laughs> I mentioned, uh, I am the, uh, the host of The Gaming Outsider. I do the show with uh, Zach Harkerson, Chris Berensmeyer, and Alyssa White. We do the show uh, once a week, and you can find all of those episodes on our website, thegamingoutsider.com, or uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it be Spotify, uh, Google Play Music, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Um, I would really love it if you checked it out. We are a family-friendly podcast. Uh, we do our best to keep it as clean as possible. Uh, I, me being a fourth grade teacher, uh, it's, I like to share it with my students. So, mm. And I can't share it with them if we're dropping F-bombs here and there. So that, that helps a lot. Uh, if you were listening to this show before October 14th, uh, please, and if you were in the uh, Chicagoland area, we are hosting a video game convention here in Rockford on October 14th. Uh, it's our second time doing it, and I am very, very excited. We are lucky enough to have uh, Sissy Jones, voice actor from, uh, from Los Angeles. She was in Firewatch. She won a BAFTA for that performance. She's been in Darksiders 3. She's been in The Walking Dead. And more recently, she's been on uh, Disney, Disney's The Owl House as one of the leads. Uh, she's coming to visit. She's actually a good friend of the show. And also John St. John, the voice of Duke Nukem, is coming to do meet and greets with everybody. And we're uh, we're very excited about that. There's going to be vendors selling video games. We're going to have VR for people to play. Chris is uh, providing a portion of his collection as a video game museum for people to play. And uh, we're going to have video game tournaments. It's just going to be a celebration of video games, and I hope that you guys will check it. We call it the Rock River Valley Video Game Convention, or R2V2 for short. And uh, uh, you can find details on thegamingoutsider.com forward slash R2V2. Um, and again, my other podcast, the Packers Fan Podcast, where we talk about the Green Bay Packers. Even if you're a Bears fan, you're welcome to come listen. We would love to have you as a listener. And uh, um, I, if I can, I would also like to plug my friends shows. I've got uh, my old podcast. I was on the Hollywood Outsider before I was on the Gaming Outsider. They do uh, uh, movies and TV shows. They are an award-winning podcast. They actually won a, po a uh, um, uh, podcast awards for while I was with the show, by the way. <laughs> they won a podcast award for that, and uh, they're, they're doing great work over there. Aaron, my former co-host, also does the Blacklist Exposed, and uh, I would very much appreciate you, you giving them a listen as well. I love that. That's very kind mm -hmm. of you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Aaron is one of my closest friends. I've been friends with him for over 25 years now. Wow. Yeah. So. Oh, is Aaron who you called when you needed help with A Link to the Past? No, actually, this was a childhood. <laughs> I have not known him that long. This was Dave. Uh, Dave was his name. Uh, he still lives up in Wisconsin, just north of me. Uh, but he was my best friend growing up, and he's the one that uh, I called multiple times. <sighs> Shout out to Dave. 
Lots of quarters. <laughs> <laughs> One other quick plug. I know I'm plugging everything, but I've got another friend here in the Midwest that has a podcast called Another Zelda Podcast. If you're listening to this, clearly you're a fan of Zelda like I am, and I cannot recommend David and his crew enough for what they do over there. So if you love Zelda, anything and everything Zelda, anotherzeldapodcast.com. They're also on Twitter at anotherzeldapod. Highly recommend you check them out. I love that so much. Scott, thank you so much for being on the show and for talking about your favorite Zelda game. It's always really nice going back down memory lane and revisiting mm -hmm. the moments in gaming that I really enjoyed as well. And I, I loved A Link to the Past. I'm glad you did. That makes my heart happy to hear that. And uh, Marina, I just got to tell you, this is the second time I've had a chance to record with you. And I've, I've got to say, it is an absolute delight to talk to you. That's I know we've, we, 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 I mean this sincerely. Zach and I were talking after recording with, with, when you did an episode with us for the Gaming Outsider, which you guys can check out on our Patreon page. Um, it, I felt like we could have talked for like another two or three hours and then not even realized it. Like it is, uh, easily. It is, you were so much fun to talk to, very personable and pleasant. You just one of the, you're a very kind soul and you're doing good work here on, on Quest Markers. Oh, that is very kind. Oh, Scott, that's so kind. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, well, we should we should record more often then. We should we should maybe do a spoiler cast together, or you know what whatever that might look like in the future. Because I agree. Yeah. I mean, when, like the last time when the three of us got together, shout out to Zach. Uh, it was so much fun. We could have spoken for three hours, but didn't want to do that to your poor editor who, <laughs> who had to edit that episode. <laughs> Scott, always such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show and for talking about A Link to the Past. And we'll hopefully see you again. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. If you happen to listen to this and you haven't played A Link to the Past, I'd highly recommend it. And if you have, what was your favorite dungeon? I feel like I need to go back and replay this game because the dungeons were fantastic. As always, our socials are in the description. And if you're not already subscribed or following, please do if you'd like to check out future episodes that we'll be putting out. So thanks again for being here and see you next time. Bye.